How good. How cool is that? That is something to look forward to on December the 10th this year. Uh, it's going to be heaps of fun. Well, welcome to Door of Hope. I'd like to uh, extend my welcome to you this morning. It's great you can be here online. Welcome, um, or in person, of course. And uh, welcome if you're um, joining us from the God Squad this morning. Uh, it's great to see all the bikes out the front. Absolutely, let's give them... Our brothers and sisters, it's so awesome to have you guys, and we love partnering with you guys over many years now. And uh, online, welcome to you as well. Jenny and Rex are there, and Robin, and um, Bill and Pam, and um, Tracy, and all sorts of uh, people joining us online. So it is so good that we can all be together, isn't it? Togetherness in community, um, it's just awesome. Well, I wonder if you're with me. I, I really love vinyl records. I love vinyl records, and um, I found out during the week that actually lots of other people do too. Yeah, quite a few of you came up to me and said how much you enjoy a good vinyl record. Raise of hands. Yeah, all right, fantastic. What what is the title of your favorite record? Just turn the person next to you, tell them. If you're joining us online, put it in the chat. If you listen to vinyl records, what's your favorite one at the moment? I'm a big Beatles fan, so um, Beatles, or jazz, love jazz. I think Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, for me, is probably so good just to whack that on and just listen to it crackle away. It's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it can be a bit annoying and fiddly to get the turntable out and put the record on, plug it all in and all the rest. And, and it can be a bit inconvenient because after a few songs you have to go over to the thing and turn it upside down and get it going again. That's uh, a bit annoying, yes, yes. Um, but I just get a much richer experience. It's, it's funner, it's just kind of the experience is so much, uh, has so much meaning and, and depth to me anyway. And look, I think it made complete sense in 1982 when the CD was kind of commercially released and, and we all kind of said, all right, well, out with the old, in with the new, right? CDs are cheaper, they're uh, more convenient, they last longer. It made sense. We just move on. Uh, and it also made sense in the 2000s when the MP3 came out and we all kind of said, all right, well, CDs are done, <laughs> out with the old, in with the new, CDs are cheaper, they're... Uh, well, MP3s are even cheaper still, right? They're easier to use. They're, they never wear out. Um, they, they're just easier and more convenient, right? So out with the old, in with the new. Um, but I, for one, am so glad that uh, I can actually enjoy both. I can enjoy the convenience and the um, inexpense of the MP3 and the richness of the experience of the old at the same time. And in this series, we've been talking about this idea that um, quite often we throw out the old in order to embrace the new. Uh, And uh, as Christians, even myself included, I must admit, sometimes, whether deliberately or or kind of um, subtly by habit over time, we, we tend to have the New Testament books, the Gospels and the letters that are in the New Testament, all that good stuff. We have that on repeat on our playlist, and we never or very rarely kind of spend significant time soaking in the richness and the goodness and the, um, 
the experience that is the old and the backstory that the old provides. Uh, and when we do that, we miss out on so much. We, we started off by, by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, and this is the passage that this series is based on because Jesus here reflects on the Bible that He has, the Bible that He teaches from, the Bible that He uses personally, and the Bible that He absolutely loves. And for us today, we, we would call that the Old Testament because that's essentially what He had. Um, but that was the Bible that Jesus loved. And so in this passage, we've, we've talked about how Jesus said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus came not so that we could ignore and throw out the old in order to embrace the new, but actually as a fulfillment of the old. And what does that mean? We, we kind of said, well, well, everything in the Old Testament that in, in, that, in Jesus' time was every scripture that they had, right, had been pointing to and building up towards and culminating in Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment. He was, so the Old Testament is kind of the, the backstory of God's story and the coming of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection was like the, the climax to that incredible story. And and we, we kind of said that if we skip the Old Testament in our reading of the Bible all the time, it would be kind of like watching the movie Titanic over and over and over again, but every time just skipping the first three hours until we got to the part where the ship just eventually sinks down into the ocean and it's done, right? We would know the facts of what happened in that moment, but we would completely miss the impact of that moment. We would miss the emotion that was involved. We would miss, miss the depth of meaning in that, in that moment. Now, of course, the story of the Titanic is fictional, we know that, but, but it's still, it's the, same, it's the same concept. If we skip the Old Testament all the time, we completely miss the depth of meaning of the climax of that story. So instead of ignoring the old to in order to embrace the new, we can actually have both. So we move on this morning in this passage that uh, Jesus is talking about his Bible uh, to verses 18 and 19. And, and in this moment uh, that we're about to read, Jesus actually um, narrows in, zeroes in on a particular part of the Old Testament called the law. Uh, and we're going to see um, what he says about this, which actually can be quite challenging uh, when we first hear it. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the Lord till all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here's what Jesus appears to be saying here. He appears to be saying that until the end of time, until heaven and earth disappear, every single law that we can read in the Old Testament 
still applies. Okay? That's what, what it would appear to be saying. Every cross of the T, every dot of the I, everything that's in there still applies until everything is accomplished. Now, um, I did discover last year that the dot of an I has a very special name. Does anyone know what it is? It's called the tittle. Who knew? There you go. And in fact, the King James Version of this passage actually says every jot and tittle of the law <laughs> will, will remain. So there you go. I thought that was a, kind of a funny thing. Um, at first glance, when we read that, that's what it seems like Jesus is saying. Every single law still applies. And we think, well, Jesus said it. Jesus speaks truth. We have no reason to doubt anything that Jesus says. So what is he saying? What, what, is, what, is he, what does he mean in this passage? Because, okay, let's look at the law for a moment. Old Testament law. Do not murder. All right, that makes sense, doesn't it? That's a good, that's a good suggestion. That, that's a good idea. Do not murder. I think that makes sense, right? Do not steal. Also, very sensible. It makes it... It works. Yep, that's a good law for society to have. Do not commit adultery. Again, you can save a lot of pain and heartache and, and hassle and um, all sorts of things by just avoiding that one. All right? That's a good one. That's a good law. Where it kind of gets a bit confusing are some of the other laws that we can find in the Old Testament. For instance, Leviticus 19:27, where it says that I can't get a bowl cut and I can't shave my beard. That's kind of a bit strange, isn't it? Or what about in Leviticus 19, verse 28, where it says, I can't get a tattoo? That's kind of a bit strange. Or what about in Leviticus 11, where it says, I can't eat bacon and I can't eat prawns? Oh, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Oh, I love a good prawn. Love good bacon, absolutely. Or what about Leviticus 19, 19, where it says that I can't wear clothes that have multiple um, fabrics woven together, or, or I can't plant two different seeds in the same field, or I can't own a crossbred dog. Does anyone here own a crossbreed of dog? Yep, yep. Um, I'm not a dog um, owner, but I can appreciate other people's dogs. So, what are we looking at here? Because some of these things just simply don't sound that sinful to me, other than the bowl cut. I think that's... <laughs> I think that is clearly... <laughs> it's clearly a sin, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of these laws just don't make sense. But here's a thought to, for you. They must have made sense to somebody at the time. Right? They must have made, as, as weird and wacky as some of these ones sound to us today, they must have made sense to the people at the time. In fact, all sorts of laws have, go through the same process. I don't know if you know this. Um, not just Bible laws. The, um, there's actually, in the state of Kentucky in the US, it's illegal to walk around the main street with an ice cream cone in your back pocket. <laughs> it's true. It really is. And it sounds, it sounds really strange, um, but when you understand, it actually made sense to the people at the time, and you go, what? But 
in the 1700s, 1800s, when you would ride your horse into town to go to the shop and you just like leave it out the front of the shop while you ducked into, ducked into the shop and someone, in fact, the easiest way to steal a horse was to walk down the main street with an ice cream in your back pocket and the horse would go, <laughs> and the horse would follow the ice cream all the way out of town until the person claimed the horse and rode off into the sunset. Having ice cream in your back pocket was the easiest way to steal a horse. There you go. Who knew? So, so now it makes sense that they just said, well, okay, from now on, no ice creams in back pockets, right? And, and it doesn't make sense to us because we don't ride horses into town that often and we probably take more care of our jeans. But it made sense to the people at the time. So what about these laws that we kind of kind of find really strange in the Old Testament. What, what on earth is going on with those? Well, let's, let's zoom out for just a moment on the laws about bowl cuts and, and prawns and stuff, and let's see what God is doing. It was God's desire, deep desire, that His people, the nation of Israel would be the kind of community that represented him to every other people group on earth. And in order to do this properly, they had to be different from every other people group on earth, okay? But they'd been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Their sense of national identity, who they were as a nation, their, their sense of self-worth, their the way that they knew how to relate to one another, the, the way that they knew how to relate to God, had completely been beaten out of them, quite literally, over a period of 400-odd years. They, these guys were starting from scratch. They had no idea how to be God's people. And, and God, in His grace, not only brought them out of this terrible situation, but he loved them way too much to just say, okay, now you're free, free to go and try and figure it out as you go. He loved them way too much for that. And so he brought in careful instructions and, and laid it out so clearly for his people so that they knew what it took to be his people again. They, they knew really clearly what it looked like to love God properly. They knew what it looked like to love one another really well. And they knew what it looked like to, to be different from the people groups that were surrounding them, the other nations with their own religions, with their own rituals, with their own cultures and traditions and, and activities. And this... God called being holy. This, this idea that his people would be, would be set aside from everyone else, made different, made special, so that they could represent him to the rest of the world. And he loved them too much to just let them figure it out on their own. So when God said to them, don't plant two different seeds in the one field, it made sense to them. The people hearing that 
very few of them would have questioned going, going, whoa, that doesn't make sense. What's that all about? Because they would have looked around their neighbours, some of whom, for instance, would be in the, the religious practice of planting multiple crops in the same field to try and blend them and crossbreed them in order to appease their gods and in order to um, get a good harvest in return and, and therefore worship their, um, their gods and their fertility gods in this way. They would have looked around at their neighbours and said, yeah, okay, I can see what God's doing here. God doesn't want us to be like our neighbours, worshipping these fertility gods, for instance. And so, to make it a bit easier for us, God's just going to say, okay, let's just keep one kind of crop in each individual field. Or when it comes to, when, when God said, don't get a tattoo, or when he said, don't get, you know, cut your hair in a certain way or, or shave your beard, the people at the time listening to that would have gone, yeah, that makes complete sense. Because they could see their neighbours who would be worshipping false gods by cutting their hair funny and shaving their beards in certain ways and cutting their skin and dyeing their skin in order to worship these false gods. And so the people understood straight away what God was saying here. God was saying, I'm going to make it pretty straightforward for you. How about we just say no tattoos, we're just going to say no bowl cuts. We're going to say no beard shaving. And then that will just save us the trouble from all these worship of false gods that you see all around you. See, it made sense to the people of the time, right? So back to our passage for this morning, Matthew 5, 18 and 19. Did Jesus suggest that we should go back to not eating bacon and not eating prawns and um, not, eat, not doing all that stuff. And if he didn't mean that, then what did he mean? What did Jesus mean when he said uh, not, every, uh, not a single dot or tittle <laughs> would be disappeared from the law until everything is accomplished? What, what was he saying here? And to understand what Jesus was saying, we need to also look at what else he said about the law. For example, we can ask, what did Jesus have to say about the laws around murder and adultery and, and oaths and retaliation and divorce? And we can go to Matthew chapter 5, his Sermon on the Mount, and he actually addresses those laws. And he, he, in these kind of famous kind of um, sentences, he says, you have heard it said this, but now I say this. And, and he doesn't just address these laws, but really interestingly, he talks about the underlying heart of these laws. He says, there's a why happening here. Under all these laws, there's a why. You might say that, yep, I haven't killed anyone recently, so therefore I'm good. But Jesus says, it's more than that. It's more than that. If you harbor hatred in your heart for another human being, you may as well have killed them. Because it's the heart of that law. In, in fact, um, 
Jesus quite often challenges the religious uh, leaders at the time on these laws because they were the best at ticking the boxes and making sure that they covered every single one of these laws really perfectly, but they were probably the worst (laughs) at understanding the intent of those laws, the heart behind those laws. In other parts of the Gospels, we can see where God talks about greed, about judging others, about paying taxes, about tithing, about fasting, about clothing that we wear, about praying, about the Sabbath. And every time, he addresses not just the law, but actually the heart of the law. And on several occasions, he actually points out that the people, they're really good at keeping the law, but they've completely missed the point altogether. (laughs) They've completely missed it. Take the law, for instance, on resting on on the Sabbath day. Uh, You can read all about this in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, But this is one that Jesus seemed to consistently annoy the religious leaders with. They, they, at the time, the religious leaders took this law really seriously, like super seriously, so much so that, that they were angry with Jesus because Jesus had healed people on the Sabbath day. How dare he change somebody's life by giving them their sight back or, or allowing them to walk again for the first time in decades? How dare he choose the wrong day to do that? And, and Jesus would actually point that out to them. He's, he's kind of like, uh, you, do you know what you're saying here? <laughs> In fact, one instance, he actually challenges them, says, you would save your sheep when they fell into a hole on the Sabbath. Why shouldn't I give this person the use of their arms and legs back on the Sabbath? Can you see what's... Come on, guys. <laughs> In, in one moment, he, he says to them, and he addresses the intent of this law. He says... The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He says, the intent of this law is to help humans love God better and love others better and be set apart from the people around them. That's the intent of the Old Testament law. Humankind were not created with the purpose of just fulfilling laws all the time and doing laws. Check the box. In other passages, Jesus talks about this intent and this this heart of the law. In Matthew 7, he says, In everything do to others as you would have them to do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what it's all about, guys, he's saying. In chapter Matthew chapter 22, there's a a famous story, which many of you will probably know, where an expert in the law tries to kind of trip him up a little bit with a a question, and he says, what is the greatest commandment? What's the best one? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he adds one. He says, and a second is a bit like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament, every jot and tittle of it, hang on these two things. 
Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And love your neighbour as yourself. Getting these two things right are what makes God's people holy. Those two things make God's people holy, set apart from the other people groups around them. This is what Jesus says will never, ever change until the end of time. Not a single tittle of it. (laughs) So then, how do we read the Old Testament law? If we don't read it with the intent that uh, every single one of it we, we still need to go back to, we, we, you know, we shouldn't be eating bacon and we shouldn't be doing all those things. How do we read it? Because we're not going to throw out the old to embrace the new, are we? No, no, we're not. We read it with our Jesus glasses on. We read it through Christ-coloured lenses. <laughs> As I said before, the Old Testament law was there, it existed to help God's people know how to be God's people. (laughs) It was there to help God's people know how to be holy after 400 years of being in slavery in Egypt. And not only that, but they were about to go and start again in a new land that had uh, people from other people groups and other cultures and other religions. And it could have gotten really messy, right? And so the Old Testament law was there to show his people how to be different from the ones around them and and how to love him well and how to love others well. But Jesus, in this passage that we're studying in this series, says that he has fulfilled the law. So this means, and this is really important, that the holiness of God's people no longer depends on the strict adherence to the Old Testament law, but it depends on the fulfillment of that law, who is Jesus. If the law has been fulfilled by Jesus, and not a single tittle of it has been abolished or gotten rid of, then it is our obedience to Jesus' commands that show us how to love God and how to love others and how to be different and set apart from the rest of the world in order to demonstrate Him and represent Him to everyone else. And while all of Jesus' commands are reflective of the Old Testament heart and intent, not every Old Testament law is necessarily re-endorsed by Jesus. And so, as we're reading through the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, for instance, with our Jesus lenses on, if we're unsure of what, what is this strange thing that I'm reading, if I, I don't know how this is meant to affect me or, or change my life, What is God saying in this kind of weird bit of the Old Testament? And we just have to refer to Jesus. We just have to refer to Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about that particular issue? Or, if we want to take it a step further, 
we can look at the other books in the New Testament. Because the majority of the writers of those books were actually people who knew Jesus really well. The majority of the people that wrote the New Testament knew Jesus personally, were close friends with Jesus, walked and talked and touched Jesus. They are the best people that we can refer to when it, when it comes to finding out what Jesus had to say about something. And, and if we want a bit more information, there are a ton of other resources by some really clever people uh, that can help us grapple and, and wrestle through, what does this mean? What does this strange thing mean? And, and one particular book that we're recommending at the moment is a book called How Not to Read the Bible. And um, it's an amazing book. It's really easy to read, um, but it addresses a whole heap of um, strange things that either in the Bible that seem a bit weird or a bit contradictory or a bit not so sure. So I really encourage you um, to check that book out. But the point is, when we come across something that's really kind of, that stumps us, not to skip over it like it doesn't matter, not, not, to, not to just ignore the fact that we're not quite comfortable with that bit, so I'm just going to leave it, but to actually discover, work with Jesus, work with the Holy Spirit to find out what's going on here, what is God saying to me? And this is actually part of the reason why we love Jesus so much, isn't it? Because Jesus was the perfect example of a human being. If we want to know what it's like to live as the kind of human that God wants us to be, then all we have to do is look at the perfect example of that human being. In fact, Jesus is the human being that God desired all of us to be in the first place. And yet he is the one that gave his life for the rest of us. Does it mean that we have thrown out the old in order to embrace the new? Well, I don't think so, actually. And, and the Apostle Paul didn't think so either. You know, he, he said something really interesting. Uh, he was talking about this Old Testament law idea and what it means for us today and what does it mean that Jesus has fulfilled the law and, and all of this and and he said, the Old Testament, we don't have to throw out. But some of it we may have to repurpose. There's a, a new purpose for it. Because no longer do the strict adherence to every single law in the Old Testament make us holy. We are now made holy through Jesus. But that doesn't make it completely irrelevant or useless. We actually have to repurpose what that's for. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 Paul says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Paul says that the Old Testament law actually is really helpful for pointing out to Jesus' followers that we can't do it on our own. That there is no way that we could possibly fulfill the requirements for being holy and set apart for God on our own just just by ticking the boxes and just by following every single rule, we need Jesus. We need the grace and mercy and love that Jesus extends to us. 
And of course, there's another purpose for the Old Testament that we cannot forget, that we're going to look into in more detail next week. And that is, of course, that it provides us with the context for the climax to the story. It is so important. If we truly want to appreciate what Jesus did for us on the cross, if we truly want to understand the depth of meaning that that carries, the the impact of that moment and what that means for our lives, we simply must, simply must understand and, and spend time with our Jesus glasses on in the Bible that Jesus loved, the Old Testament. Why don't we pray together before we stand and and sing? Oh, Lord God, we're, we're so grateful. We're so thankful that you have not just saved us and freed us and then expected us to figure it out from here but you love us too much to for us to think that you you just want us to figure it out on our own you you provide your word these scriptures that that have been written by dozens of people in all sorts of different genres over thousands of years. It's a miracle, actually, that we even have this. It's incredible. And we believe that it's your divine word for us. And Lord, we're just so grateful that we have it, that we have access to it. Not everyone in the world has access to it. And Lord, we're just so grateful. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to be diligent in our discovery, in our own journey of what it means to be more like you and what it means to be made holy by you and set apart for you and what it means to represent you to the, all the people groups that we are surrounded by, what it means to love you well and what it means to love others well. Lord, help us to grasp the depth of the meaning of what you did on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. We thank you for stories of lives changed like uh, Prue this morning. And uh, Lord, we're going to stand, we're going to sing one more song in worship of you. And uh, Lord, blessed be your name. All the glory to you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.